Welcome to Oz Cycling New South Wales Heritage Committee Cycling Podcast, the history of our wonderful sport. The idea yeah. it goes back to 1903, right? Yeah. Where UD McIntosh is the greatest promoter and entrepreneur Australia's ever had. And, and McIntosh was a, a bike rider, uh, then he became Secretary of the League of Wheelmen and then Secretary General. And uh, But he came up with the idea to establish a track race in Sydney that would be the richest in the world. So he came up with a race over one mile at Sydney Cricket Ground worth £750 to win, which was £350 more than his adversary in Melbourne, John Wren, who was another flamboyant entrepreneur and uh, a theatrical uh, promoter had established in Melbourne called the Austral. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's where the Sydney Thousand was born at the, at the Sydney Creek around 1903 in front of 30,000 spectators. That was legendary New South Wales cycling promoter John Scott talking about the inspiration for his Sydney Thousand cycling promotions of the 1970s and 80s explaining that in 1903 Hugh D. McIntosh developed the Sydney Thousand into the richest cycle race in the world. In fact, in New South Wales history, no other races created more headlines. The Sydney Thousand one-mile handicap started on the Harbour City's world-renowned SCG before moving to the boards in the Depression. Then John Scott had the whole of Sydney talking when he moved the Sydney Thousand onto one of the city's famous concrete velodromes at Camperdown. Then it was back to the boards in 2005 to ensure Sydney's Olympic velodrome would be connected to the great cycling history of New South Wales. Then, somewhat fittingly, it moved back to the racing concrete of the Canterbury Velodrome. While John Scott is a lot more than just the promoter of the Sydney Thousand, it was that event that highlighted his ability to connect to people and create hype. This podcast looks at the life of John Scott, who was voted New South Wales League of Wheelmen's greatest promoter at the New South Wales reunion in 2015. Robert Wallace was just one of the old pros at the reunion. Promoter? Um, you know, i got nothing but admiration for Johnny Scott, what he done when we were going around. Um, some of the brilliant bike riders that he, that he had riding for him. Uh, down at Camperdown and around and everything like that. Well, yeah, no, we, we def- definitely had some good years. John Scott had a great understanding of the cycle game, getting involved in the sport from a young age in the central west of New South Wales, inspiring others as well. Here is the creator of the LA Olympic gold medal winning team bikes, master frame builder Jeff Scott, talking about how he got into cycling. John Scott. And getting into cycling with him. Yes, well, we grew up together as a kid. Like, I looked up to him. He, he wasn't a blood brother, but he was a brother, basically. He lived with us. Your yeah. orange connection. Can the orange connection. And then oh. when Johnny got thrown out there, he used to come and live with us. And he was a good bike rider, but more of a networker, promoter. Yeah. And that was his forte. And that's how he, he, he got the job at Rockman's. He was all doing Rockman's sponsorship. That's the history there. This podcast focuses on the life of John Scott through an interview with Scotty's son, Greg, who is a wonderful cycling historian. After being brought up on location at many of Cycling New South Wales' most talked-about events, here's Greg. He, he actually started at Orange Cycling Club. Well, 
riding there and I think it was about 14 or 15 and rode around Dubbo and Ningen, uh, Orange, Bathurst, all around that central western area, both on the track and on the road. That's how we got started in cycling initially. He was a pretty good bike rider, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He won fastest time in the Ningen to Dubbo one year. That is an impressive effort. If you go back through the people that got time in the Ningen to Dubbo, it was a big deal. But amazingly yeah. then, Orange got the national titles of all things as well as a Yeah, young. that's right. He got involved with that. At, uh, yeah, that. It was a motor racing, motorbike race circuit, and they had the Australian titles around that. You know, Sid Patterson, all the top pro riders of the dime, and Fred Roach all went up there to ride in it. Fred Roach won the race. I think Sid Patterson ran second. And that was his first involvement with promotion. He helped raise money to get it there by um, raffles and things like that, fundraising within Orange to get it there. And that was his first involvement with promotion. It has to be said it remains a mystery how Orange in central west New South Wales scored the 1959 Australian Professional Road Championships as it was very rare that New South Wales was allocated the Nationals, let alone Western New South Wales. It is significant then that a young John Scott would be involved in this historic New South Wales cycling promotion on the controversial but historically significant new bar motor racing circuit which would be a rival to Mount Panorama in the 1950s. I should also stress the significance of Scotty's fastest time in the 1964 Ningen Adabo, as top pros Kerry Hoole and Victorian John Young took time honours in the events prior in 62 and 63, while Newcastle strongman Barry Walker took the honour the year after in 1965. Back to Greg Scott. Not long after that, he moved to Melbourne for a couple of years, living in a place called Mooney Ponds in Melbourne, in a boarding house with a cyclist called Bruce Clark, who um, won a Warrnambool to Melbourne race. And also Bob Ryan, who was in Melbourne at the time, uh, riding down at the Olympic Velodrome and that, and Dad rode at the Olympic Velodrome for a couple of years, and then he, then he rode a six-day race at Lidcombe Oval back in 1960. I think, 61, with Bruce Clark as his partner. I think they ran ran a place in, second or third, I think. After that, he got uh, invited to go to New Mia, and he rode against um, Jacques Onkertil and um, Tom Simpson on road races and on the track over there in a series of races. He rode against them, a number of other Australian cyclists that went over there at the time. And, um, That's and amazing, isn't that. it? To race yeah. against a Tour de France winner, Tom Simpson's amazing as well. That's right. I think the French government brought them there or, or paid for them to go there anyway because the, um, they wanted to promote New Caledonia. Yeah, and it was amazing that he rode against all those. So, I mean, he had very good memories of all that. He got serious about the promoting, I suppose, after that with Maryland. Yeah, but... he met a guy called... Um, Gerald Georges, who who actually uh, in later years was the one that helped um, Phil Anderson get started in Europe. He got him into the Peugeot team in Europe. Uh, Gerald is originally from Normandy in France and was li- lived in New Caledonia. Now actually lives in Melbourne. But um, uh, 
he met him and then Gerald came to live in Sydney. Gerald is a restaurateur as well. Came to live in Sydney and they started cycling promotions at Maryland's Oval out Parramatta and they had that track and they were able to get professional cycling on out there for a few seasons. You know, most of the top Australian cyclists rode there. Um, Bob Ryan, a number of top Italian cyclists came out here. BM Ghetto, he was a sprint champ back in the 60s. A number of them came out here and rode the six days in Melbourne, which used to be on every year, promoted basically by Bill Long down in Melbourne at the Olympic Velodrome. Some of them came up to Sydney and rode uh, sprint races against Bob Ryan, a number of other Australian cyclists, a uh, number of Victorian cyclists that came up, Joe Ciavola, who, be- who became the CEO and President of Cycling Victoria in later years. Um, that, that, that went on for, for about um, three years, so about 67, I think. And then he went on to do the Sun Tour around New South Wales, but I think it might have been three tours, 67, 68 and 69, I think. And that contained top bike riders like um, Robbie Wedders, uh, Keith Oliver, Kerry Hull, Max McGindy rode in it, a number of cyclists from Victoria and Tasmania. Yeah, uh, a big race. They were big races, those. With uh, That would have been a hard yeah. race to organise simply because of the distances and the state of the roads. Uh, they ran into prob- problems with uh, fog because they were running about, uh, I think, July, August or something. Uh, problems with um, road surfaces. Some of the roads were pretty, pretty bad, particularly in those days. And they used a lot of back road. They went down through the back way down to Cootamundra from Bathurst. You know, some of those roads were pretty, pretty rough and ready. And there were some riders that, you know, took some pretty heavy falls. Still got back on their bikes. You know, problems with riders getting uh, lost and things like that. As yeah, well. yeah. It would have been a nightmare to organise, but it's got great coverage and that in the papers, so classic Scotty promotion, to be honest. Yeah, it was. The Sun newspaper sponsored it and made their name on the jerseys of all the riders, journalists travelling with the race and all that sort of thing, Mm. photographer, and um, and that, but it did get a lot of publicity in the time, they even, like, they even had the Lord Mayor of Sydney at the time waved them off on the steps of the Sydney Town Hall. And they rode down George Street before getting out of the city, so, which you couldn't do these days. John Scott diversifying onto the road on such a grand scale somewhat followed his mentor Hugh D. McIntosh, who introduced the Bathurst to Sydney in 1905 as a rival for the Warney. However, Scotty's grand tour around New South Wales was actually a continuation and an upgrade of the high-profile tour of the West promotions of the 1950s. Here's Alex Fulcher. Um, the tour of the West. Oh, mate, that's another story. <laughs> I remember the old tour of the West back in the 50s. So, Terry Hill and I got in a buddy, my old car. We drove all around the round of the west, all the towns and parks and Forbes and Gower and anyhow. Gary and I went to every hotel. We sold every bike rider for ten pounds, <laughs> and, and, and I got sixty pups to put in ten pounds. And uh, I got Harry Berkeley, His name was. He was a silk screen printer, and he printed sixty jumpers for me with different bloody pubs on them. <laughs> so we had every bike rider in the, in the, in the race was sponsored. Oh. So we ran. The, so we ran the tour of the west. And buddy, um, I had two stages every day, and I was running. So every time we stopped for lunch, all of us would be sitting down getting rubbed and bloody having a moon. I'd be bloody 
uh, having all the cases with the police at that cross on the wrong side of the road and everything. I'd be standing on my bloody bike, so sweating. And we'd go for an hour, an hour and a half, about who crossed the double lines and who this and bloody that, trying to, they wanted to stop the race and I'd try to keep it going. So I, I ran it for three days and, and I won the last stage in the Bathurst. So it was, it was quite a weekend, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it a one off event, clearly? You, I don't know how no, you did I ran it a second year. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't ride the second year. Then years later, Johnny Scott picked it up. It, it's an amazing event, the history of it, when you look through it, because it was just oh, an yeah. incredible event. And it was Camperdown, I suppose, which he helped to get built. Yeah, he did. He was involved with it. He was actually one of the trustees there, one fellow called Claude Heathcote, who was the secretary of the Dulwichshire Bicycle Club, and Harold Summers, who, well, at the time, was, was the secretary of the Marrickville District Bicycle Club, but... Daly Chill and Maracle ended up more or less combined a few years, about five, six years later. And um, they got it started and it was all mainly built by voluntary labour and um, uh, getting concrete cores done by, through getting um, deals with ready-mix concrete. They started building about 1968 and about mid-1970 when it was finished and then the uh, first carnival was there in November 1971, <laughs> which um, which featured Gordon Johnson and Giordano Torini in a, in a match race. And the following year, Dad actually promoted uh, cycling in Victoria at the Brunswick Velodrome in Melbourne. They asked him to come down and promote there. He did that for about uh, two years, going to uh, Melbourne Saturday night running the bikes in at Brunswick in Melbourne and the next day in Camperdown in Sydney. So he was back and forwards to Melbourne for, wow. <laughs> for, How was six, he for about four or five months of the year. Wow. Uh, those promotions, those first promotions at uh, Camperdown yeah. were amazing, weren't they? To have those two riders was something yeah. special. It was. And, um, yeah, because Gordon had won the world title in 1970 and then there was a controversial race in uh, Varese in 71. They had the world professional titles in Varese and Italy, and Gordon and Torini raced off in a semi-final of the sprint championships, and there was a bumping duel between it, and Torini went down on the track, hit the track, and the local crowd, because Torini was from Varese, and the crowd rioted and threw cans, bottles, anything they could throw on the track, and they had to pull the race off and hide um, got away from track and shelter and they calmed the crowd down. They eventually raced off and um, I think Torini ended up winning the semi-final and raced a Dutchman called Lean Luberstein in the final and Lean Luberstein won the final from memory. But that's and, classic, uh, Scotty, in it, to, to see the promotional it, it was, benefits in was, that and bringing them to, to Australia. You could imagine the hype over that at Camperdown for the, for the first race meeting, wasn't it, at Camperdown? It was the first race meeting. It was a Sunday afternoon, and about three o'clock the meeting started. And they were the main feature. Um, there was all the top pros rode there of the day. Um, a number of Victorians that came up rode in that series. And then um, next next year, Danny Clark made his first appearance there as an amateur in 1971. He came up from Tasmania. He, wow. And then after. In 72, and then in 73, after he came back from the Olympics, 72 Olympics, him and his father had fallen out with the amateur Tasmanian Cycling Union or something, and he turned pro. And then uh, in 73, he had some professional races in Tasmania and then came up 
to Sydney and stayed put on the last six-day race, professional six-day race. It's Danny Clark's first professional six-day race, which we rode with the Tasmanian called Frank Atkins, who was a pretty good bike rider himself. And they had the big, Danny won the first his first professional uh, six-day race, which was held at Wiley Park in um, November '74. Wow, um, that's such. Uh, a- that, 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 that had a falling out with um, Camperdown for a period of time in '74 late 74, and they put on a six-day race at Wally Park, which featured Gordon Johnson, John Bilsma, Keith Oliver, Rob Wedders, who rode as a team, uh, Max McGinney, Carl Wilson, uh, Ian Stringer, who was another top Victorian bike rider, uh, a number of other top Victorian riders came up for it as well. Uh, and that's the and one that, that that's the one that Danny won, was it? Yeah, that's the one. His first professional... Uh, teams race six day race as a professional. He won with Frank Atkins there. Wow, and then, that's a, that's and incredible he, history, isn't it? That was run at uh, Riley Park, which is gone now. But, uh... Any others that you thought that were like a promoter's dream? Ah, uh, well, over the years there were so many of them, but probably. Um... Uh, one that stood out uh, would have been Danny Clark more yeah. than anybody else. Uh, Danny Clark's clashes with Keith Oliver uh, were probably what drew the crowds to Camperdown Velodrome. Yeah. His clashes with Keith, with Robbie Wedders, uh, and many other names with Ian Chapman, Bobby Ryan, uh, people like that. But uh, probably a, 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 the only thing that you couldn't tell Danny. That he was a promoter's dream because then he'd want too much money. <laughs> but he, he was. He, he, he was something else and uh, uh, he actually drew the crowds uh, on a regular basis. And then, um, then Camperdown went on again after that. Put on a 24 hour Madison at, at Camperdown, which uh, he. he, he um, he had reported over the radio every hour on the news on the radio while it was going on, even though there was not a 24-hour race. The bike guys were all asleep in the, asleep in the um, middle of the track. And that included a lot of top Victorians as well as top New South Wales folk. Uh, John Trevorrow, who's well-known around, around the cycling tracks, he rode in that race. He was twice Australian road champion. He rode in that. And... Um, all, all the top pros that were around at that time. And then the Sydney Thousand came about in 1976 um, when he discovered doing some research and found out about the race that was run, last run in 1906 or something. Yeah, 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 that's right. In a decade of wonderful Sydney Thousands, the backmarkers had a great strike rate, with Gary Sutton, Steele Bishop, Eddie Salas, Wilson, Laurie Venn and Frank Parker all winning. However, the outmarkers, Rudd, Bird and future world champion McGleed, all had super rides to make the Sydney Thousand honour roll. Here's more from Greg Scott and some cameos from John Scott himself. And uh, they discovered the history of that and started it up at Camperdown in 1976, which proved a big success. A good crowd turned out. It was a professional race, top pros in it, and uh, it was run by a, a former Army corporal called Roger Bird. I think he's still around somewhere today. Uh, he won the first race and then it went on. It was won by various um, top cyclists over the years. Uh, Keith Oliver won it one year. Uh, Laurie Ben, 
Um, Gary Sutton won it one year. Uh, it's a list of great champions, isn't it? Like, that's right. It's, it is yeah. an amazing race. It really let John Scott show his his flair for this sort of thing. Yeah. He yeah, he knew the history of this race back in the early 1900s was all about hype, and he just went berserk on this race. There's no doubt about that. That's right, he did. He did. He engineered the publicity, the advertising, you know, the, some of the promotional tricks that he used to promote it, you know, things like riding over the Sydney Harbour Bridge on Penny Parting with Keith Oliver and Carl Wilson. Uh, and, and that which attracted attracted publicity and also police attention. Um, yeah, plenty of police uh, attention, I'd imagine. And uh, but <laughs> the fines that they got would have uh, well and been truly worth it, wouldn't it? That's right, it did. Yeah, it did that. He had rugby league players riding bicycles around the track and things like that. Yeah, yeah. There were things like jockeys races with some of the yeah. the highest profile jockeys. I remember Mark de Montfort. Um, winning yeah. one of the jockeys' races, and they were just yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. They even had um, at one meeting there. He got Sid Patterson and, and Reg Arnold, um, you know, yeah. both you know, famous Australian international cyclists down there, and they raced off against Grand Camperdown. Both would have been in their sixties at least in that in oh. that time. Yeah, I'd and, love to just have. I didn't see that, but I would love to say that I seen that happen. Uh, he had great respect for cycling history, and to acknowledge those two guys in in something like that. And both of them were great characters, but Sid particularly was a real you know outgoing guy, and well, he was called the Ox. He was a big man, you know. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Dad actually raced against Sid back in back when he was in Melbourne and, yeah, and, and yeah. Tasmania. So, um, and to to take that. Sydney thousand right through like it was a full decade of Sydney thousands and just promotion after promotion and then I, right. I'm guessing his his final one the one I remember particularly around eighty five or so he brought That's Nelson right. Vale, Nelson was the last Vales. one yeah. Nelson Vale's yeah. out and Steve McLeod I think won the race the Sydney yeah, thousand a that, great yeah, right, a yeah. great star but. But Nelson yeah. Vales really did an amazing job for him. He did. A, he promoted him. Oh. There was more publicity for cycling when Vales came to Australia than and that had been seen for probably 70 or 80 years because uh, we not only raced in Sydney, we raced in Melbourne, we raced in Brisbane, and we raced in Launceston, and. Uh, there's full-page stories and back-page stories and front-page stories. And I don't think that's ever happened yeah. uh, about an event. There's been some bad publicity on cycling, got maybe on the back page, but uh, through drugs and things. But uh, the only time an event has got the front page and back page of a newspaper was uh, that year that I brought Vales here. And uh, that, that, that happened. He put a show on too for you too. Oh yeah, he, he was a showman. Nelson, Nelson was great. He hyped up things and was a good showman. He was a very outgoing guy. Nelson, when you met him, like he'd do anything you wanted him to do and go anywhere you wanted him to do and and do that and easy to get on with. Uh, when he met people, he'd give people plastic 
necklaces and things like that, particularly women, you know. Um, he'd give them necklaces and, you know, things like that that he'd carry with him. He came from New York originally and um, he was a cycling messenger riding around the streets of New York originally and then got into cycling and rode at the 84 Olympics and that's and won a silver medal, I think, at the 84 Olympics and, um, you know, and put on a great show, and, you know, and... Lovely guy. Um, your father, being a great historian, certainly also made the connection of Nelson Vales to to Major Taylor from the very yeah. original race, which was a very clever concept. Yeah. They were incredibly different characters, but he didn't yeah. miss that that connection to connect back to the original Sydney Thousand. No, race. no, Major Taylor's history was quite. Um, he had to to get him to ride and all that sort of thing. So he did come from a little bit different, you know, situation. But, you know, the, that, Major Taylor was very religious as well. But uh, Major Taylor had to fight a lot of prejudice. And, and even when he was out here, when he rode in the, in the original Sydney Thousands at the cricket ground, he, he had to fight um, corruption and told not to win and all this sort of thing because of the riders he was against. There was another... Um, I think another American rider out here yeah. and an Australian rider. I can't think of their names now. But, yeah, Floyd uh, McFarland, who was an amazing American handicap rider, but he was yeah. he was a yeah. leader of a, a very corrupt group that was all about the money, you know. And, uh, that's right. And you, yeah, then you've got Major Taylor, an American teammate of his, who's the complete opposite. He's religious, right. he's just a pure racer, and that that yeah. mix was, was no. never going to work. And... The promoter, uh, Hugh Dean McIntosh, he, he didn't mind using force to get his own way. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and that's that's what the that's the backstories to this amazing race, and and it attracted yeah. your father to be quite honest because he he loved yeah. that that whole backstory. And I think one thing as a promoter that your father was very good at manufacturing this controversy himself in some ways and he getting did. people involved he in it. Like he did that. Um, <laughs> that the, the, the Carl Wilson thing where Carl wasn't allowed to ride and then I let him ride. That's hilarious in some ways because he was trying to get the pros and the amateurs to race as a pro-am, which, which makes sense as a promoter. But at that time, he put the oh, two yeah, bodies against each other, didn't he, sort of thing? It was him and Ray Godkin, when Ray Godkin was president of Cycling New South Wales, eventually got that over the line. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was a crazy situation to think you got two groups yeah. of riders and they couldn't race That's each right. other. And uh, right. But he really played it out, particularly with that Carl Wilson thing that... Uh, yep, I think right. Kevin Nichols couldn't ride, so Carl just rolled out and took his spot. And uh, yeah. I think the whole crowd was sort of yelling to say, let him ride, let him ride, but the official yeah. wouldn't. And yeah. he played them, didn't he? Like, it, it got everyone involved on the day. That's right, it did. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, so amazing at, at manufacturing and yeah. a, a controversy yeah. or, or a drama to and yeah. letting people know to get everyone involved in that drama. A, right. a master yeah. stroke from a brilliant promoter. I, I, I'd like to probably just now also mention that he's... Ability obviously stretched further than cycling. He, we, we don't realise just how big he was, John Scott. Yeah, yeah. Well, it start. He was got involved with motor racing and speedway with his job with Rothmans, who manufactured Winfield, which became the biggest selling brand in Australia and the biggest sponsor of sport in Australia during the seventies and mid eighties. 
sponsoring motor racing uh, all around Australia. And then they ventured into a sponsorship of horse racing. Uh, horse racing became a big sponsorship after the uh, end of cigarette advertising on television, like sponsoring big races in Queensland, such as the Doombin 10,000, the uh, Perth Cup, Hobart Cup, Darwin Cup, uh, Wagga Cup, Newcastle Cup, uh, big cup meetings in Victoria. He got involved with all that, travelled around Australia and with that, travelled overseas to, to England, Canada, America as part of um, the sponsorships overseas, to see the sponsorships overseas. The Winfield Master Snooker on, became a, a nightly television program on the ABC and 10 for for two weeks in every June. Then getting involved with rugby league sponsorship of the uh, what was in the New South Wales rugby league sponsorship in 1981, which became the Winfield Cup. Uh, which went on, that sponsorship went on for 10 years or more. He, he got involved in that. They sponsored the State of Origin series, um, uh, also the Rothmans medal, best and fairest player in the New South Wales Rugby League as it was in those days. He was, he was responsible for their sponsorship of that. He had to make sure all the sponsorship was all managed okay and that uh, got the coverage that the sponsorship required. Um, going overseas and to uh, New Zealand and that when they sponsored Australian Kangaroos supervised the sponsorship of that also uh, briefly involved with boxing uh, as, as a co-promoter of the first two Jeff Fennick fights when Jeff Fennick won his first world title uh, he got involved in that also putting on uh, back in the 70s putting on record rides for um, Robbie Wedders from Canberra to Sydney Max McGuinney from Perth to Sydney. Uh, also another writer called Murray Walker from, uh, he rode from Newcastle to Sydney and broke a record. Unfortunately, Murray was killed not long after that record ride on, uh, riding back from Sydney to Newcastle. But he did those all in that time as well. Continued doing all those things while still promoting Canberra down from 1980 to about 1985. Only did one promotion a year at uh, Camper Down, uh, because he got in, he got, he had so much other things going on that he could only, that was all he could fit in. But, um, and he met so many high profile people in that time from John Brown, Minister for Sport in the uh, federal government was someone that he, he met and became quite friendly with. Also, uh, Mike Cleary, who was a Commonwealth Games bronze medalist and famous South Sydney footballer. TV commentator as well, wasn't he? Two commentators. Yeah, come high profile. Friendly with him. Greg, um, tell me that Scotty even met the Queen. He met the Queen uh, in uh, 1981 at Epsom Downs at the English Derby when she was in the Royal Box. And uh, he was with a uh, English sports commentator called Ted Lowe, who was a famous snooker commentator who Dad became quite friends with over the years with the snooker promotions. He, Ted came out to commentate the snooker out, out here. And they were walking near the, the Royal Box and... Um, uh, Ted, who had met the Queen a number of times, because uh, Ted had had an MBE bestowed on him and, and, um, and was also a executive for a big brewery in the UK as well. And um, they were walking past the box. The Queen saw Ted and said hello to him and, um, and he said, who was, who was your friend? And he said, oh, this is Mr John Scott from Australia. And they just <laughs> you know, they said hello to each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. And... Yeah. Um, 
This is also a time where Australia was winning the America's Cup. Bob Hawke, the Prime Minister of Australia, saying, you know, bosses are a bums if they don't let people have a day off and that. It it was a real celebration. We thought we were the best in the world. And your father was right in the middle of that. He he knew uh, some of the greatest promoters and that of the time or people involved in the he was networking right. to the highest level he met bob hawken a number of times during uh, during that period of time with various promotions he was involved with because bob was invited there as guest of honor at certain things um particularly horse racing events because bob liked the horses john brown who was the minister for sport who's a great horse racing man also helped set up the institute of sport and he got to know all those people quite well, and all sorts of politicians and, and uh, famous people, you know, celebrities and, and all that sort of thing in, in his life. I will say that set up a situation in his life which meant that he was able to bet on the nod, uh, SP bookmaking, all sorts of stuff. It was a different yeah. time. That was a volatile situation for him because... Gambling was a vice. Gambling was a vice that uh, absolutely uh, could ruin a person's life and the people around them. And now it's up to you whether you comment on that, but we certainly not... It did ruin... It definitely does, and and did ruin his his life, and it did ruin his health too, but... um, um, we're certainly not glorifying gambling, are we? No, 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 that's right. That uh, we would certainly suggest people need to to not get too caught up in the hype of that no, thing and, and seek help. Yeah. And that's definitely a warning that comes with this story. I, yeah, it does. You know, from first, you know, from seeing his deterioration and what it what it did do to him. You know, I can definitely say that, and definitely, and it you know, affected its head on your know, family, and that's definitely, yes. Just one thing in passing is that um, I went on to far greater things in sport, as you all know, and I did uh, have a period of time where I hit the deck. And I bounce back up again. But the reason why I bounce back up again because I learnt how to chase the bunch and chase the wheel. And there's a couple of people in this room I'd like to thank for that. And that, of course, is my great old mate Max McGiddy and uh, the McGiddy family. Max gave me the pick and shovel when I had to go back on the tools <laughs> and told me how to earn a quid the hard way. The, uh, and then in 2005... There was a movement on to bring back our best race and uh, I was down in Melbourne, I got a phone call, we came back, I came back up again and thanks to Sean and Brett and Barb and Max and uh, they injected the effort behind me to get the Sydney Thousand off the ground again in 2005. Let's not worry about that now. I do want to to move on to a more higher point was the the final running of the Sydney Thousand and we suddenly got John Scott back involved and amazingly he turned up at the Sydney Cricket Ground of all places. 
Yeah, that's right. They organised a media launch there, which got all the top cycling media people there. SBS, uh, Tom Alaris, Rupert Guinness, uh, Peter Colloy, and various other media people turned up as well. Uh, television. Um, Ryan Bailey and Renee Wolf, who he got out here um, to ride uh, at, at Dunk Gray in a match race. And um, they came out of the old member stand from the two dressing rooms, coming downstairs with their bikes onto the cricket ground, and then they rode around the cricket ground on their bikes, then had a couple of 30 farthing riders rode around the cricket ground, dressed up in a bowler hat or top hat and tails just to bring back the old days, of bringing back the old history of the Sydney Thousand. And also, there was a couple of younger riders that um, yeah, were riding. Kate Bates me. may have even been involved yeah, in it. Kate Bates, yeah, that's, that's right. Might that, have been um, Ben Kirsten or something. Was Ben Kirsten, yeah, that's right. And they were there as well. And um, let's put this into perspective. This is around 2005. The hype had gone away from the Sydney 2000 Olympics and uh, Dungray was looking for a kick. And suddenly we had Johnny yeah. Scott there and yeah. those promotions that he put on at yeah. Dunk Grey breathed life back into that, that velodrome. It did. It did. Once the Olympics were over, well, then the focus went to Melbourne for the 2006 uh, Commonwealth Games, and they had the World Track Championships in Melbourne, and uh, they needed something to kick on the um, Dunk Grey um, and that. But it did, did pick up the place, and it was a very good meeting, and it... Um, it made a lot of people happy. I remember seeing a lot of old cycling paces there that I hadn't seen for years. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the exciting thing too. He was promoting those events with Alan Jones on Two U E, and it, that's it, right. that was taking the sport to the people uh, at that that's time. That's right. It was taking the sport to the people, and Alan even came out for it. He was there that night. Um, made the presentation to the winner of the Sydney Thousand. I've actually got photos of Alan and uh, even got the CEO of the Sydney Cricket Ground there that night with his two sons. So yeah, it did bring the people to it, definitely. It's it's a wonderful ability to tie the whole thing back to this great promotion, the, the 1900, and he'd done a wonderful job. He certainly brought the Sydney Thousand to life. He brought Dunk Gray to life. Then there was a, another event went back to Tempe. So in 2006, the following year, they run the event at Canterbury Velodrome, and, and that added another venue to the Sydney Thousand. I think Canterbury Velodrome certainly deserved to have a Sydney Thousand on it, and it was all oh, it about... Does, it does deserve, it does, yeah. So it did give Tempe some prestige after Tempe did hold um, Australian Championships and some big meetings, and the Clarence Street Cyclery Cup was run there until Dunkray opened, but it did die off. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. so uh, a great way for the story to end. Him and Phil Bates sort of got together on that, get it going, so... Um, yeah, um, so the Sydney Thousand ended up on one of these traditional classic Sydney velodromes, the, the yeah. Canterbury-Tempe velodrome, and, and that hopefully yeah. allows the, the life history to keep going in those races in the future. But uh, yeah, we'll awesome. certainly never have another John Scott, though. <laughs> no, I doubt it. I doubt you'll ever have another one of him. <laughs> so... Firstly, may I really yeah. appreciate you coming on and giving this information. So I, I really thank right. you for that. Yeah, so, no, 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 it's been a pleasure, no problem at all. No, I don't know. 
With Phil Bates joining the list of promoters of the Sydney Thousand, the event boasts a number of the most influential people in New South Wales cycling history. The second podcast on the Sydney Thousand specifically looks at the race, the highs, the lows and the many dramas which even include a murder, another where a competitor takes the organisers to court. However, in this episode we leave the final word to the late John Scott, who has played the lead role in the Sydney Thousand wheel race story. very, very fortunate to come through an era uh, in the League of Wilman uh, where you guys and their families have supported the early years at Maryland's Oval through to Camperdown Velodrome and then back in 2005. So all I can say is it's been a wonderful experience, a great life, but I take all my roots and all, everything right back to the first days uh, way back in Orange and as a juvenile cyclist and a junior cyclist and then, of course, the first Australian road title in 1959, the, uh, Sid Patterson being beaten by Freddie Roach. And that was my first forte into uh, having a punt on cycling. Okay. You've been listening to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast. Thanks to Dried Arrangement for the music in this story. This is Heritage Commission Chairman Mark Windsor saying thanks for listening. Hours, minutes, seconds gone.